Well, any, first of all, any questions from a couple weeks ago? I, I don't really... <laughs> okay. Uh, he show, I think he showed you a movie. Were you here, Holly? Did he show a movie? Part of a movie? Parts of the, mi- parts of the mission. The trailer from the mission. He's good. But he showed parts of the mission. He showed some PowerPoint stuff. Any questions from that? I think it was the scene where, have you ever seen the mission? A long time ago, yes. Where at the very end of the movie, the bombs are dropping, and the priest walks out with the host. Oh, okay. And so the Eucharist delivers, the Eucharist. In the middle of chaos. Yes, exactly, right. Okay, any questions on any of that? Okay. <laughs> All right, well then I'll start. How about that? Let's look at page 212. The one great thing about reading Peterson, I mean, Peterson is, admittedly, he's not a Lutheran. Um, but the one nice thing about, and this is nice about reading any book like this, but you open it up and you feel like you've been saying certain things and someone else finally says them as well. Um, that's, that's actually, it's helpful to know, one, you're not off the deep end, and two, that sometimes, I had a parishioner say to me once, in anger, uh, uh, something to the effect of, well, they just didn't hear it from you, they needed to hear it from me, or something like that. And I, that's probably true to a certain extent, that there are certain things that we say that maybe people just don't hear as clearly as when someone else says it. So it's nice to have it in a book like this, where you guys read this, and, and I think many of you really buy into this, which is nice, because he's saying everything we've been saying. Um, and that gets, it gets redundant, and it almost feels useless sometimes when you keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's like if you're a teacher and you say to your kids, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and they keep writing down 5. You know, that's irritating. <laughs> because you think you're being clear, and they just keep writing down 5, you know? Um, but as I said yesterday at the Eucharist, that's what Pentecost is all about. The Holy Spirit is not redundant, and neither is the stuff we've been saying uh, it's just in an effort to always bring you back or always bring you closer to the gift. So this whole section is driven. What are you laughing at? It sounds like Bobby. Bobby? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, Holy, the, the Holy Supper, here's the great thing. In his section, every aspect of hospitality is driven by the reception of the Holy Supper. Okay. So he doesn't talk about hospitality just for hospitality's sake. He talks about hospitality as the natural extension of the altar and the gifts that the Lord gives there. So if you're a Eucharistic Christian, which I would hope all of you are, um, if, you're, if that's what drives you, they said, they said once of Henry Nouwen that coming out of the womb, he was drawn to the Holy Supper. Okay? If that's what drives you, if you can't imagine going a week without the Eucharist, if you can't wait to get there on Sunday, uh, then there's no reason why hospitality shouldn't be a regular part of your life. Okay? Where you go wrong is where you say, I'm all about hospitality. And there are many folks who are very hospitable people, but they're not driven by the Eucharist. Okay? Then you get it all backwards. That's just like pietism, where you love and you live the Christian life apart from any sacramental realities apart from water and word and body and blood and absolution, apart from any of that. The same thing can happen here. You can be a very hospitable person, but you don't have it right unless that's all driven by the sacraments. It has to be. Because the Holy Supper is the most hospitable place we could ever imagine. 
Okay? And all over the scriptures, and we said this, I think I said this about four or five weeks back, and some of you said, wow, it would have been nice to kind of know that. Every bread story, every table fellowship story is a reference or at least has overtones of the Holy Supper. Every time Jesus sits with people and eats, that is Eucharistic. And all of that finds its climax then in the Holy Supper on Holy Thursday as Jesus sits with his disciples. Okay, so everyone tracking all that? You have to start there. If you don't start with the Eucharist, this can go terribly, terribly awry. Yes. Okay, good. As you see from the uh, different religions, there are worse. That's right. That's right, yeah. Because it's worse. That's right. So the Holy Supper then delivers the person of Christ in all of his fullness. And Christ then forms you into who he is the hospitable one, who then pushes you out to do as he does, which is show hospitality towards others. Okay? That's the progression. Holy Supper, Jesus forms you, Jesus pushes you out, and then you're hospitable towards others. But you remember, you keep coming back to the Holy Supper because in about 10 minutes you're going to forget how to be hospitable, so you've got to get back to the Eucharist. Okay? All right. Look at page 212. This Dorothy Day quote. (laughs) We cannot love God unless we love each other. Now that's true uh, in one respect. You can't actually say that you love God unless you're lovable, unless you express love towards others. This is why in the Lord's Prayer it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That doesn't mean the Lord will only forgive you if you forgive others. What it means is, the natural expression of one who's forgiven by the Lord is to forgive others. The Lord's love is not dependent upon whether or not you love others. He doesn't say, boy, you're not very loving towards others, so I'm not going to love you. But if you're loved by the Lord, the natural thing to do then is love others. And if you don't love others, just like if you don't forgive others, there's every chance you might not have the Lord's love or the Lord's forgiveness. Okay? You tracking all that? It's not dependent upon your love but it shows who you are as loved. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not wrong, but just make sure you read it correctly. And to love, she says, we must know each other. We know him in the breaking of bread. That's Emmaus, Luke 24. And we know each other in the breaking of bread. And we are not alone anymore. Heaven is a banquet and life is a banquet too, even with the crust where there is companionship. And this is very important to to remember this. Um, The knower. Now see if you can track all this, okay? The knower... And the one who is known actually are one. Okay? The knower, the Lord, and the one who is known, you, he knows you, are actually one. That's very important. He doesn't just know you to relate to you. He doesn't just say, wow, it's great that I conceived that person in their mother's womb and now they're a grown human being and I know them. Yeah, that's Carol. She lives down the block down here. But in him knowing you and you being known, you're actually one. Okay? 
That's why in the scriptures, uh, oftentimes the word for know is a reference to the relationship between a husband and a wife. To know someone, biblically, um, is to actually be one. Have you ever seen... (laughs) uh, Have you ever seen... Yeah, go ahead. Have you ever seen this movie where the guy says, uh, yeah, I know her, in the biblical sense? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be funny. Like, they're not, I mean, it's not funny. It's crude. They're not married. He says, yeah, I know her, in the biblical sense. I mean, that's, that's the wrong expression of knowing, but that's exactly what knowing is. You know your spouse, biblically, and so you're one. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, the Trinity, the relationship within the Trinity is one of knowledge. They all know each other, okay? And so because they know each other, they're one, okay? Uh, then when they know you, they bring you into their own relationship, okay? So it looks a bit like, and this is, you know, the drawings never suffice when you're talking about the Lord, but it's a bit like this, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet, the Father is God, not are, is. He is God and He is God. They have a relationship here, one of knowledge where they know each other, and in knowing each other, they are one. In knowing, they are one. Now, here you are, little pagan, okay? This is why the names are so important. Because the chief name, the name you get at your baptism is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here you are, in getting the name, you're brought into this relationship. So what goes for them also goes for you. This is where you have communion. Or in the biblical word, in in Corinthians, koinonia. Okay? You have communion. Which finds its chief expression in the Holy Supper. When you confess in the creed the communion of saints, what you're not saying is, isn't this great, we're all saints and we're, and we're friends around here. What you are saying, sorry, did I offend you? Oh, give them our best. Go in peace. <laughs> in, the, in the creed, when you confess the communion of saints, what, you, what the original intention of that, that phrase was, it's a reference to the Holy Supper. It's a reference to the Holy Supper, the communion of saints. That is not about, aren't we all friends and this is wonderful. It's about, we have koinonia, we have communion, we have unity. We know each other, as Day says, in the breaking of bread. Is this like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the question is... Yeah, the question is, is there, a different, is there a different word for knowing that's maybe used in relation between us and God that doesn't have a sexual connotation? 
I don't know, no pun intended, <laughs> if you have to use puns, that means you're really not funny. <laughs> but I am funny. Yes, right. Um, but I would actually say, without even knowing, without even exploring the words, that the relationship between the Lord and you, in, a, in, a, in the purest, most holy way you could imagine, is in a sense one like the father, or like a husband and a wife. Okay, this is why in Ephesians five, Saint Paul says, "Husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands." This is what marriage looks like. And then all of a sudden, he throws in the tagline, "Lo, I tell you a mystery." In the Latin sacrament, I'm speaking about Jesus and the church. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And they do. You have a closer here. This is. Think about this for a second. You have a closer union with Jesus, with the Lord, at the altar, than you do with Marcus. And you have a closer relationship with Marcus than you do with any other human being. But it's even closer with the Lord. So in a very real sense, you can't balk at the notion that this might have some sexual overtones. That's not the intent. He doesn't mean to be crude. But he means the relationship you have with Jesus is closer than what you have with your own husband. And you can imagine, the church fathers always spoke of the altar in a sense being like the marriage chamber between a husband and a wife. That's where you know Jesus. That's where he gives himself fully to you. This whole notion of giving and receiving is very um, spousal in its, in its language. Okay? And, and, and again, I, you, know, you can take this too far and you can, some of you are going to go home and say, I can't believe he talked about this. But that's the way the church has always talked. That's really what it's like. The Lord gives and you receive. And that's a great gift. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. That's, 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 probably, that's very true. Yeah. Right. Yeah, a great gift has been been made into um, well something that's no longer a gift. Um, but that's if in Eden Adam and Eve would have heard this as great news, and for them, the knowing the husband and the wife and the and the in a sense the. As, as the fathers would say, the con-creation. They're, they're in, you're involved in creation. When you have Audrey, you take a part in creation. You decided, at least most people decide, we're going to have a child. Um, and in that act, they would have seen great beauty and great joy. Now, the goal for the church is to return it that way, to not feel odd about talking about this. I mean, this is, it's very strange when you meet people, especially uh, who are going through kind of premarital counseling and stuff, and, and these are very real things. I mean, your relationship is an icon of the gospel, primarily because of your union. And that takes place in the marriage bed and nowhere else. Um, that's very odd for folks. They can't, they can't quite get that. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been married to Russell a short time, 
Yeah. But, you know, there does come a point, I believe, in a lot of marriages where, I don't know, maybe I'm just odd, but it's not really the act anymore. It's just that it, we're, we're intimate. Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah. I cry about things because he knows my history and he knows mm -hmm. that it makes me sad. And I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe uh, when we're talking about him having the same relationship, it's because he's so deep inside of yes. intimate. Yes. Not any kind of physical act. It's physical insofar as he puts his body into you. Of course. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's more an intimacy. It's he knows you. He knows everything about you. I mean, talk to a, talk to a couple who's... Paul Adelhelm and his wife have been married now 50 years this Sunday. I would bet that he knows almost everything about her, and she knows almost everything about him, and yet there are still things they don't know. There are, I mean, there are, this is just, there are things that your pastor knows that your own spouse doesn't know, um, but not so with Jesus. So yeah, it's, it's an intimacy, it's a knowledge, it's a one fleshliness. You can't downplay the fact that you and Jesus are one and the same and in, the, in an even more intimate union than you and Russell are. But you and Russell are an icon of that image between you and Jesus. If you don't live faithfully in that union, it's hard to say you live faithfully in the other union. So I think, you know, adultery, while it certainly can be forgiven, is one of the most damaging things to, to the gospel um, because Jesus doesn't do that with his bride. And neither does the church do that with him. At least we shouldn't. We do because we sin. We're... We're, we're adulterers because as a church. What, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, it's like you can forgive the act. I mean, I, you know, I've talked to my girlfriend about this. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not, if someone were to cheat on you, you know, it wasn't the actual act of it. It was the betrayal mm -hmm. of the intimacy in your right. head. It was the betrayal. That's what it is. It's not the act. That's exactly right. That's ex that is exactly right. I was thinking as you were talking, I thought... Well, they don't, they just skim the act away. Right. no sharing of intimacy. Right, exactly. So there's no... Sh and, they, yeah. and they, then they're depressed when they're in their late 20s. They don't know why. Right. There's, there's, there's not that... I don't know. It's sad for our kids. And if you, if you use that, if you use that, that metaphor then for the church, it, you don't just give the gift away. The Lord just doesn't have the act with no intimacy. That's why it, it's, a, it's in support of closed communion. You don't just give the act away to anyone. It's meant to be special. Yeah, and intimacy takes time. It takes, it takes a lot of effort, yeah. I, I just find it interesting that, you know, like um, Mormonism mm -hmm. or other religions put this emphasis on the physical, the physicality of when they die, you know, they have 72 virgins. Right. That's right. Sort of expression of right. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
Yes, go ahead. The question is, um, and the reason I repeat all the questions is someone says, we never know what the questions are. We listen on the radio. We don't know what the questions are. So they said, we're going to stop listening unless you start repeating the questions. So the question is, no, no. <laughs> but you're close. <laughs> um, the question is, how do, you, how do you defend a culture of uh, heterosexual union or marriage uh, in the face of what the world says is right? I th- here's, let me add one thing to that. I would say you would defend it. It's a very similar question to asking why. Um, this might open up a whole other can of worms given, given this group, that it's all women, but I think it's a similar answer to what you'd give for why women aren't pastors. I think the mistake is we flee to Leviticus, which says a man shall not lay with another man and say that's it. Where that's true, or just like with the ordination question, you flee to St. Paul who says a woman should not have authority over a man. That's true. Or wear hats in church or whatever. You know? And then you can carry that to, its, to, it, to the extreme and say, well, then I should not wear lipstick or makeup and I, shouldn't, I should wear a hat every time I come to the church. I think the answer to all these questions is found in Ephesians 5. Because... Um, Jesus is engaged in a, I mean, he, he makes it very explicit. This is a heterosexual union. It's a husband and a wife, Jesus and the church. He says, this is the bride. And in the same way, then, for the, for the ordination of women question, if the pastor actually stands in the stead of Christ, is married to the church, I mean, at the end of the day, I need to love you as much as I love Abby. I mean, that's the way it is. Um, and I would expect that whatever... Uh, that, I would, that I would be willing to do for you what I'd be willing to do for her, which means, as I always tell premarital couples, the woman always says, uh, obey, I don't know if I can do that. And I say, well, he's got the harder job because if someone comes in and wants to kill you, he's got to die. You'll stay alive, he'll die. I need to be, and so do the other pastors, willing to do the exact same thing for you. But because you stand in the stead of Christ as one of his ministers, to have a woman fill that office would, in a sense, create a union that was not the union that Jesus intended. It would be a bride and a bride. Okay? So, exactly. It's interesting. Did anyone about five or six summers ago, we had some, some essay on ethics. And did anyone talk about me? I know we watched a video. Now, unfortunately, I was going to say unfortunately, but it was a woman Lutheran pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, of, and it, it was precisely this, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. He said because in, in a two-man relationship, someone has to be the impassive one. I, right. And it's like they're not, we're not, desi- they're not designed to do that. And one I, is, they're not designed to be the receiver. The receiver. Yes, right. Yeah, and they said, and on some level, yeah. they, kn- they know it. Yes. And, and, and it actually, they be- they're unhappy. They don't right. know exactly. Right. And they said it's actually going out of the. It is. It's out of the natural order of creation. Excellent video, and it it was actually said lovingly. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who was trying to explain it. 
not be so right. Right. And 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 what you and the here's the other thing. This is the real honest answer. It, it, I mean, um, to act on those desires is no different than a than a heterosexual couple who's not married acting on those. I mean, it's it's the same. It's the same sin. Um, so can you be can you be uh, a forgiven, redeemed, non-practicing homosexual who says? When I have lustful thoughts, just as a man or a woman may have about the opposite sex, I can be forgiven. Yeah, you can. The trouble comes in the acting because what happens is then you're caught up. That becomes the life. I mean, it's like anything. You have people come in for confession, and, uh, and more often than not, there are people who come in with the same sins over and over again. The great trick is deciphering, are they living in it or are they struggling against it? You can struggle over and over again. I mean, Luther has, has these stories where he says, I went to confession and it was the same thing for 12 weeks. It's not because he was living in it. It's because he couldn't, he couldn't get over it. It's the same thing with this. If you live in it, that's, that's where judgment can come. If you're struggling, there's only mercy. Yeah, it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the Dumbledore. It's the remember my Dumbledore yeah. story. <laughs> it's the Dumbledore story. <laughs> you have, I, you know what? And I have compassion now for the struggle. Yeah. That's what it is. I have compassion for the struggle. Yeah. It's like too mad, but yeah. you're not doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, Luther says three things that make a Christian are meditatio, which is to meditate on the scriptures, oratio, which is to speak or to pray, and tentatio, which is temptation or struggle. So the more you struggle, the more you're being formed into the image of Christ. Yeah. Right. Um, the question is, what happens with those who, who are so lonely, in a sense very lonely, and who know that they're caught in a specific sin, and you being around just uh, makes them feel even more guilty? I don't think the, the natural response is, it's on them, it's not on me. It's on the person who's engaged in the sin. It's their fault, not mine. Um, and okay, if they don't want me around, I'm just not going to be around. But that's not the way the Lord deals with people who are caught in sin like that. In fact, I think he goes out of his way to engage folks. But you have to under, understand engaging as engaging with mercy and with love. Um, and that can take on a variety of forms. It doesn't necessarily mean you walk in the first time you see him and say, I know what you're doing and I still love you. <laughs> that's probably not very helpful. Um, but to go out of your way to show love and compassion and concern and community. At the end of the day, folks like that are like everyone else. They're lonely and they're unloved. But it's almost um, detrimental. It's so bad. So what do they need? 
community and love. To be by themselves is not helpful. But all absolution is, all it means to forgive is to be exposed to Christ's mercy. That's all it is. Jesus just, I mean, he pours himself out. It's, I, I often say to people, you have to expose Jesus for all he's worth. And primarily, he's, he's there for mercy. So, you have, to engage, you have to engage folks like that. You actually have to, you actually have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll get some more coffee. Right. And it seems to me that part of what happens with all these situations is we get, I watch Ethan, who is appalled. I mean, a, a, after the conversation, it's like, Mother, that was an it. What do you think that was an it? <laughs> I said, no, Mary, it's not an it. It's a very lonely community. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of these people who come into that. Right. Right. I, I just think this whole hospitality thing is, is not at, the, at first place you're going, okay, here are all my labels. Mm-hmm. But but here but here is this lonely person underneath all of these labels, and and and, and for one, I, I don't always get it right. In that moment, I did get it right, and it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wonder if sometimes in a culture where we've got so much that says you have to you have to um, take me with this 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 and this and this, if we will just go, no, I will take you as this. I will take you as human beings. Right. Right. Yeah.
Right. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, you know, we all know people who have strayed from the faith or who uh, despise the church for one reason or another. And sometimes it's, the, many times it's the church's fault. Um, and sometimes it's not. But at the end of the day, you know, the only thing you can do is really be normal. Just be normal. It is not, this is why doing apologetics next year, hopefully in the adult Bible study, will be so helpful. Because it's not about, it is about learning your lines because there will be questions. But it's not about going in and speaking your lines first and then waiting for a response. That doesn't work. What works is just be nice to people. And you can because that's all motivated by the sacraments. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, I, again, you chuckle, and I, and I chuckle too because it sounds redundant. It is all about the Eucharist. That's all it's about. And at the end of, you know, a year of this or two or three years of this, if you don't understand that life is all about the Eucharist, then we haven't done our job because that's all it's about. I don't know. Yeah. You're not always the catalyst for them mm-hmm. to like come to the faith. Mm-hmm. You might be person number two right. on this person's path, but that your influence or welcome hospitality yeah. it furthers them on a path. Yeah. Where, and God might use someone else down the way to eventually bring them to the Taylor Church. Mm-hmm. You might be just like inviting them over for supper. Right. And I actually, you could take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to convert anybody. Right. You just Right. On the path with people. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really it's an easier way to it is. think about your role here. Right. And if you play with that mindset that I'm gonna go out and convert people, it'll never it happen. Never yeah. Because right. you'll always be disappointed, then you'll just give up. Right. And, right. Know, but really, maybe you just invite them to supper. Yeah. And, and then your neighbor, what? It also makes you aware that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you should be influencing somebody right. praying in the morning. Right. Uh, you know, when somebody's really don't have a relationship with, that you would not see it. That's right. You're mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, another comment I wanted to make is um, I think that because I have a lot of friends who Uh-huh. I would never <laughs> I never tell anybody. I never when people ask, I say, Oh, our ch- we're you know, traditional music, liturgy, you know, very You just say Jesus next time. I, I, we just I, have Jesus. You know, it's it's kind of boring. You probably wouldn't like it. Unless you like that. Hey, thanks. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of bringing them in. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, people have said, oh, I think that's the kind of church I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's what I was wanting. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> so, I guess, now listen. <laughs> now listen. Here we go, okay. I'm listening. So, if you have to be just an example. Yeah, right. If they think you're kooky, and you're good, I mean, well, I'm nuts anyway, but if they think that you're like, 
oh, why don't you come over? Let's talk about the Bible. Right. They're going to be like, you're where? You don't want to be like that. <laughs> right. You, know, you want to give, be an example. Right. It's, of, 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 you know, yeah. Nobody's going to want to hang around with you if they're always, you know. I understand. Now, this church, so you, it's part of the... Right. <laughs> Here's the thing. When when pe- yeah. Well, um, people hate when you beg. People just hate when you beg. I mean, I can't tell you. I can't. That's okay. That's one method. There you go. People people though hate when you beg. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to. We're gonna hopefully have a very large new member class starting tomorrow. Uh, I must have called sixty or seventy people, and. When they thought you were calling because you wanted members, they didn't want a part of it. But I said to one woman who said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm not really looking for a church right now. I said, that's okay. I said, we're not really looking for members right now. <laughs> and yeah, I said that. And no, and she said, you mean you're not begging me? And I said, I said, no. I said, real honestly, you know, we've got three pastors. And if we get 70 more people, that's just 70 more people that we're not going to be able to give extraordinarily good care to so if you want you know if you want to be in on that yeah sure come but if not you know and she said this is the first time someone hasn't begged me to come to the church because they want members she said i'll be there saturday yeah i know i mean that's just they'd be yes right and then the woman that i told about the school i'm not going to give you a tuition break and she said okay i'll come I mean, we're going to have a bunch of people who think we hate them and it'll be great <laughs> well, and here and here's the other thing. If you, you speaking of, you can't be. Yeah, just. <laughs> Abby said to me the other day, "I don't think I belong at St. John with all the stuff you guys talk about." Page two sixteen. Look there. Uh, my in-laws just got back. Must have been about two about two months ago. They went to. They went to Italy. They went to the Amalfi Coast, and they went to Rome and all over. And their tour guide was a young Italian woman who was very fluent in English. And she said, yeah, I go to, I go to New York about once a year because I think it's fun. And, but she was very clear she would never want to live in the States. And, of course, my mother-in-law, who could talk to anyone, said, why wouldn't you want to live in the States? Because she talked about how much she loved New York. She said, because your meals aren't long enough. She said, you eat in 10 minutes, and then you're done. No one talks. No one drinks any wine. No one cooks. All you do is sit in front of the TV. I could never live in that kind of culture. And I found it very interesting that he talked about the, uh, the myth of the machine and how we've tried to expedite meals and how fast food is everything and you eat in front of the television and no one talks and meals don't take a lot of time. That's actually very true. So one of the, one of the things you need to remember is as you're hospitable, you know, you don't, and I don't take this the wrong way. You don't get McDonald's and say, let's sit down and watch a ball game. That's one way to do it. Um, but that maybe isn't the best way. And in, in for me personally, I can just tell you, I, sometimes I feel like, um, I feel, it's a very emotional thing to talk about. Wow. Might get choked up here. Just like I did at Les Mis. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, when we go to, to dinner at people's houses or people's homes, um, at times you almost feel like one of these persons who is not a Christian who you've invited over because it always feels like work. I mean, you, imagine you invite someone in and then you... 
No, me going to someone's house and all they want to do is talk about church stuff. And I think that's carried over into the way we engage non-Christians. All we want to do is talk about church stuff. I had one of the most delightful meals that we had in a long time was just this past weekend. And the joy of it was we went to someone's house and there was a lot of conversation and none of it was about work. And finally, for once, it was a great joy because it was hospitality in the Eucharistic sense. There was not talk about, tell us about this or tell us about that. It was, let's have a bottle of wine and just have fun. So you need to remember that as you invite people over. It's not about work. It's not about, can I get this person to come to my church? At the end of the day, that's what you want. But it's also just about being a normal human being, popping a bottle of wine, and having a normal conversation. Because they, they, they see it as work. If you're just going to quiz them about the faith or what they believe or don't believe, that's work. Okay? We had a French girl live with us for a couple weeks this last month. It just completely highlighted all the things that are bad about our family at mealtime. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I felt so much pressure to cook a really good meal yeah. every night and have a really pleasant dinner. And it was, it was really, really nice. Yeah. And I thought, why don't I do this for my own family? Right. <laughs> the, the kids said later, we've never eaten better. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have one for all year? <laughs> but, you know, of course, I felt really guilty, but I realized how, and I, I'm not alone, I know that. Yeah. People, we live just this crazy existence where we're not even hospitable to our own family. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. You realize after you've had, sit down for a week and have a meal at the table with your family for a week and see how the dynamics in the family have changed. Yeah. My teenage daughter, who's never home, was suddenly with us. Right. And she wanted to be there. We had a good time together. Mm-hmm. My kids had a little trouble. They wanted to get up right away. Yeah. Like, we got to go. We go, where are you, where are you going? Yeah. They didn't even know where they were going. They had to go. <laughs> Just get up. <laughs> I had to get up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, and that is, that's. But it really, it, uh, it showed me what's wrong with just our general. That's exactly right. Hospital. We don't even know how to behave in our own family anymore. And, and you. I, you know, it would be inter- an interesting study to see if there was any connection between, this is the stretch, eating with your family and spending time at the table and having the Holy Supper where you can kneel at the rail for as long as you want. Because, here's, my, here's my premise, that I, I can remember as a kid growing up, they had drive-through communion. There was no sense of being at the table with other people and being in, a, in, a, in, the, in the position of receiving the gifts of hospitality. And that's something we really need to think about because even right now you're rushed a bit. You know, you're, you're, you're really, you're moved, we move you along because it takes, I know, it takes 30 seconds for folks to get up the stairs and down the stairs. And then however long it takes you to kneel, it takes that much time. And if you don't get down in 30 seconds, it's going to take us 15 minutes instead of 14 and a half, and then someone's going to be cranky, and then it's all bad. But, you know, you have... Uh, the vicar, actually. It has been time multiple times. I can show you the, I can show you the punch list with on this Sunday yeah. took this long. But that's part of the goal is to create an environment where you move people through. You don't, I mean, we don't have two hours to spend. But you can actually take some time and just, as, as William Lazarus, a Lutheran theologian, once said, rest in the liturgy. That's what, that's what table fellowship is all about. That's what the Eucharist is all about. Holly, did you have something?
Mm -hmm. I know being small and the large mass would be right. Right. To spend time with God's children, you know, to do things together as a community. Which, which is why in the New Catechumenate, part of the goal of, of the sponsors, and you'll see this come out, one of the major roles of the sponsors in the New Catechumenate is just to have people over for dinner. Whoever you're sponsoring, you have them over for dinner. Because it's, that, it's, that, it's a concept. We go to church together and we're there at the table. And that is extended in our own homes. And it'd be, it'd be fun to see in five or six years, after you've had five years of the catechumenate, how that's changed. When you have five years of people who have been going to dinner at people's homes, and it's not about begging them to come to church because they're already there. They're in the catechumenate. They're enrolled. It's just about having fun. Yeah. You know, Gail and I are often not at our home church because we always go to St. Is that right? Ushers actually seek you and you say the words of institution and pass the elements to each other and they hand the flowers. It is very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And when we first saw this happen, I said, this is the uniqueness and the shyness of everybody going up. We're thinking, you know, this is going to be a three hour service. Um, it was like a long service. Yeah. Wow. There's something about having people in your own home. Really? All right. Yeah. 
Well, and it was just, they didn't do it all the time, but all the time, but they would, but everybody was doing it at some time. And it wasn't this big organizational commandment of, okay, I've been on staff long enough to know this code of. Hmm. <laughs> it's like you just get over it. The minute yeah. you get to a point where it's got to be a committee that's got to organize it, the, the thing that really would have been organically is just this whole And you just, and right. That'd be great. I mean, well, on Sunday, you all invite someone to your house. Yeah. Yeah. Even if everybody can. You know, because everybody's lives are different. Yeah. Right. Let's do it every Friday for the summer. We only ended up doing it two or three times. Yeah. But the next week, I invited some people I knew well. Yeah. Some people I didn't know well at all, and and they didn't know each other well. Uh huh. But I tried to have if if I invited one family, had every family had someone they knew. Right. But then the rest of the people they might not have known very well. Right. I I wish I had the energy to do that for the whole congregation. Mm Hmm. Right. I see them, but I've never talked to them. And I thought, that wasn't that hard. It's expensive. Uh-huh. That was what, you know, mm-hmm. we couldn't afford to do it every weekend. But it was an interesting experiment if everybody did that. Right. And I thought, you just invite 20 people. It was even good for me. Some people right. I didn't know, and I purposely invited them. And I'm like, why are you inviting these people? <laughs> <laughs> And we, we tried that a little bit with these home meetings that continue on from the CAP camp. And those were, you know, those were touch and go. Some we had 12 or 13 people at who didn't know each other and it was great. And some we had to cancel because there weren't enough folks. But, you know, we've talked about even next year. I mean, I think it's important for families to get to know families, families to get to know their own family, and also families to get to know pastors, maybe even outside the context of a larger gathering. We've even said maybe next year instead of home gatherings, we'll just... We'll go to someone's house every week. Well, we'd have to ask. Uh, but, you know, or we have them over to our house or whatever. And we just do that just to get to know parishioners. You know? It is. But if everybody sort of exactly. Idea, hey, you know, this summer, I'm going to have a party at my house. Right. And I'm going to invite 30 people from church, half of which I don't know. Yeah. It would be an interesting idea. It would be. Yeah, and you um, have a few people there for your own comfort. Yep. Couple bottles of wine. One of two things for comfort. I'll I'll do all summer. Should I ask Abby first? She wouldn't have to cook. She wouldn't. Well, all right. Here we go. Yes. Is it time to go? Oh, what time do we end? Oh, I thought we had till ten forty-five. I was going to keep going. All right, here, for next week, do we meet next week? There is school. We don't have many left. Why don't you read the rest of the book for next week? <laughs> my, my summer intern, you, you should be happy, my summer intern, 
Her only job is, all the books I've read for my PhD, I underline, and I have notes in the margin, but I actually haven't typed those out. So she's going through every book and typing out the underline. She knew it before she got into it. So this is Sarah Steiner. She's great. But the other day she said, I like, can't feel my fingers anymore. And I said, okay, go to Starbucks and find some margin comments. So I don't know why I'm telling you that story. Oh, because I was thinking about reading the rest of the book and what kind of notes she might have. And, okay. Um, why, don't you start, why don't you start at, at section 3, which is page 225. And why don't you read through 238, 225 to 238. Okay? 225 to 238. If you don't read, that's okay. It's always nice to have you read. I don't know what they're going to do, what book they're going to use next year, uh, or you're going to use next year. But um, this has been, this is good. It's a little long, but hopefully we can make a dent in the rest of it before the year's over. Pray and go? All right. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.